Um, no ropes or helmets or like, but I did want to see if there's cave openings. So we ended up shimming down a tree and checking out these cave openings. This is Ecological Adventures, the official podcast of the UF IFAS Department of Wildlife Ecology and Conservation. I'm Rhett Barker. Ecologists go from their own backyards to the edges of the earth in pursuit of knowledge. Dealing with discomfort, sometimes dangerous animals, and unpredictable situations, they're rewarded with adventure and fascinating insights into the workings of the planet's life. Today's guest is Jessica Hightower. Jessica is a PhD student. She's studying how habitat use and fragmentation is impacting bird communities in Borneo. What's an unexpected experience you've had because of your work? My field work in Borneo involves going out every day, um, very early in the morning. So um, I'm doing bird community work, and it entails setting up mist nets and opening mist nets before sunrise and catching birds for about five or six hours. And during those that time, we check the nets every half hour or so, and I, I take measurements on the birds and, uh, and put bands on them and then release them. And so to do that, the, the field conditions are are kind of rough. It's the, the landscape is very large, so we have to drive anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes to reach the site. And then once you get to the site, you have to hike in anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour. And the train's pretty rough, and it's usually not along a, a very good trail. It's just one that we've cut ourselves. And then when you get out there before sunrise and you're opening up with the nets, and getting those open. Um, one day I was out there, and this is actually, I happened to be out there by myself in the setting, and I heard I heard some noise in the distance, and it was elephants trumpeting. And if there's one thing, it doesn't really bother me working out in the in the tropics. It's, there's not, there really isn't that many, aren't that many things that can uh, do too much damage. You know, snakes are going to to run the other way uh, faster than you come across them. But elephants, however, are terrifying. And when I first got there, I'd heard stories of oil palm workers that had been basically dismembered by an angry elephant. So it's instilled in all of us out there that elephants are terrifying. Uh, so I was out there by myself, and I heard elephants trumpeting, and they were coming in my direction. So I collapsed my net and furled them up, which is what I do at the end of the day. So you don't get any birds in there. Closed my nets and then immediately got out of there as fast as I could. And then the next day, I was talking to some people who had driven in, and, and they had seen signs of elephants up there. But I, I talked to the camp scientific director to get his opinion on whether or not I should go out the day, uh, next day, and, and his opinion was no. So I didn't huh. go out that day. Went out the next day. I'm hiking up to my my net sites early in the morning. It's dark, and I have the the tiniest flashlight ever to find my my way. And as I'm walking up there, I realized the elephants had used my path to come back down this hill. So they basically widened my trail to be super huge. And I was like, <laughs> stepping in these saucer plate puddles that they've left behind. So if I'd gone out the day before, I would have had a nice close encounter with elephants. But uh, they didn't. They didn't trash my nets, which was good, because they usually trash everything else man-made that they come across out there. But it ended up being another year before I actually saw an elephant in person, and, and that was from the relative safety of my vehicle. So, 
that was uh, a much, much nicer Palestine encounter. What a cool story. You've also been to Belize. Did you find anything interesting while you were there? For my master's, I, I didn't do birds. I did tropical tree communities. And I was using LIDAR to look at. Well, LIDAR is a, it's an active remote sensing technique that it basically shoots a laser down. The, the sensor is attached to a plane. The plane flies over it, shoots the laser down. Then the laser reflects back off of any reflective surface, like a branch or a leaf or the ground. And once it is reflected, it goes back up to the sensor, and the sensor measures the rate of return. So you basically get all of these points in three-dimensional space. And so you can see what the ground layer looks like, what all the trees look like, what buildings look like. So I was part of a project that was using that to, to find ancient Maya ruins. And this was in... Caracol Belize. And it was it was really the first time that this technique had been used effectively and it was a huge success. And so that was pretty fun to be in on that. But I was working with a bunch of archaeologists and my advisor and I were not archaeologists, we were ecologists and we were interested in the forest. So we found all the, the structures for them using the LIDAR, but then we wanted to, to look at the trees. So we're mm -hmm. we're looking through this data set and we noticed that just looking at the ground layer, we have a bunch of holes in the data set. It just looks like a, a standard digital elevation model, but there are just these black gaps in the data set. We started trying to figure out what these black gaps were. And we realized that it's, it's possible to say they were just errors, but it was also possible that they were caves. And, and that was pretty exciting because this is a, an area, it's a karst landscape, so there are loads of caves there. So caves were important because the the Maya placed a lot of the ancient Maya placed a lot of significance, cultural significance on caves. And they considered it the entrance to Shabalba or the underworld. So oftentimes huh. if you find a cave, you could find ancient Maya artifacts and human bones and the Sistiva, which were the big flat stones with the, the written language on there, the hieroglyphs. I was down in the field Collecting, collecting data on tree species and, and walking through the jungle. And we decided that we were going to ground truth some of these holes and see if they actually were caves. And if they were, if they, you know, they had any significance. So I ended up ground truthing a few of them and navigating through the jungle with my, my little map and, and GPS points. And some of them, most of them turned out to be little sinkholes that were just going straight down, and they weren't, they weren't very interesting. They just went down and they ended. But one of them that I checked ended up being a pretty good cave system, and it was a, a pretty wide opening on the top. And then and when you drop down, I would say about three meters, it looked like there were a couple of different separate – it was like a vertical, a very wide vertical cave opening, and then at the bottom, there were separate – horizontal entrances. So I had my, my field, my local field assistant there, but we had, we didn't have any saving gear. So um, no ropes or helmets or like, but I did want to see if there's cave openings. So we ended up shimming down a tree and checking out these cave openings. We didn't go in very far because again, no lights or anything like that. But we went in one of them and there were four different entrances. We went in one entrance and it just, it seemed to continue going back. But we found, we found old 
my artifacts in there, just spoken pottery um, and some very large pieces of pottery uh, that were they're further back in the cave. So we took as many pictures as we could and then checked out another opening, which had a bunch of broken up rocks kind of going down. And the broken rocks looked like they could have been a staircase at one point. And it just went down into the cave. And then at the bottom of the cave, there was water trickling through into a pool. And on the way down, there were calcified bones. So I'm not sure what kind of bones they were. but And then some more pottery pieces. So that was pretty exciting. We took as many pictures as we could and raced back to camp. And at at the top of the cave, there was what looked like one of those large flat rocks, the stela, and it had been broken in half. So those, you know, before they're weathered, you can make out hieroglyphs on those. So there was a probable stela right outside the cave entrance. So at that point, the the adrenaline was pretty high, and I was pretty excited, even though I'm not an archaeologist. I'm the only biologist in camp. It was still pretty exciting to see something in an area where probably there had been no one there in a thousand years. And we raced back to camp and and told the archaeologists there, and they got pretty excited about it. Hopefully, eventually, one day someone will go out there and see if there's anything of significance. But it was kind of (laughs) that is so cool. (laughs) Yeah, it was. uh, It was a little surreal. You're doing it. It's like I can't believe this is happening right now. So. That's probably one of my most exciting field stories, and it's not even about an animal. (laughs) That's all for today. Thanks to Jessica for coming on the show. You can learn more about her research in the UFI Vista Department of Wildlife, Ecology, and Conservation at the link in the description. Today's music is provided by Dr. Turtle. You can also find their work in the description.